0: It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at wrtfm.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media your donation makes a huge difference. Six six hello everybody and welcome to a public affair. It is Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. I want to remind you, you are listening to volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. And we have a fabulous show lined up for you today. We are going to talk about the power of the First Amendment, free speech, what you can and what you can't say um before we get to that though i want to remind everyone what is it if you are a wart listener you know what today is today is a day in pledge week heck yeah heck yeah and in the studio with me today is ali muldrow she is uh, one of the co-hosts of a public affair my favorite show uh on tuesdays with ali wednesdays with me ali how you doing today I
1: you know I'm very excited to get to talk about your show cuz I've loved your show for a long time. I loved your show for years before I loved my own show. All right. um, and I am excited about the conversation we get to have and I'm excited to encourage people to give us a call at 608-256-2001 and give by pressing 1. Um, and we'll we'll patch you through, but this is, you know, this is community sponsored radio. And so if you're out there listening and you love WORT and you want to make sure we're around for a long time. Call us up and give small donations. Do big things. They go a long way. Um, and so I'm I'm excited to get to have this chat with you and I hang out. And
0: and we already have two pledges kicking us off. So this is a fabulous hour. We are our goal was our goal. Are we trying to get six
1: call six pledges? This we're this trying day? to get three hundred dollars, six donors. Um, so you know six people with with 50 bucks or 12 people with 25 or you know if you've got ten dollars like that that goes that goes a long way folks in in, at this radio station know how to stretch resources and make every every penny count so before we jump into this incredible book i want to give a huge shout out to uh the original pancake house for making sure we all got to eat a little bit before the show Mm -hmm. um i want to say thank you to eric and to Mary Joe, who are answering the phones, and please call and keep them busy. They would love nothing more than to than to take your call, y'all.
0: Yay, area code 608-256-2001, extension 1, or you can pledge online at wortfm.org. All right, Ali, we're going to get back to you in a second, but let's kick off our conversation. We have uh, author and professor, uh, Dennis Dennis Barron joining us today. Um, his latest book is You Can't Always Say What You Want, um, The Paradox of Free Speech. Thank you so much, um, Dennis, for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's great to be here to it, yourself.
0: It's wonderful to have you, and I just want to say a little bit about you. Uh, Dennis is an emeritus professor of English at the University of Illinois Urbana Sh- Champaign. Uh, he's a frequent commenter on language issues in the national media, and has written a number of popular books, including "What's Your Pronoun?" in 2020, and the latest book, which is, right, just came out. You can't always say what you want. Um, talk to us a little bit about Dennis. This book, when when it it starts, it has this great sort of, um, opening where you say we are living in a free speech paradox why do you say that and what made you decide to write this book
2: okay well i've i've been um thinking about issues of language and law for a number of years i i uh, would teach a, a class of uh, undergraduate class on language and law for a number of years and and over that time the ideas that went into this book started uh started to surface, and the thing that struck me most about uh, the issue of free speech in its connection to the law is a kind of paradox, which is that uh, the greater strides we have toward uh, unshackling speech, making making speech uh, less limited, the more we have pushback uh, which tries to limit the speech. Hmm. so it's it's a kind of growing spiral, uh, escalating uh, more free speech uh, predict, yeah, uh, you're you're going to have more pushback against speech. Uh, and And we see it in t- in two arenas. One is the social arena, because speech is a social phenomenon as well as a legal one and uh, we have all kinds of filters on our speech when we talk to one another, uh, depending on the context you're with. Uh, of families uh, have kinds of, kinds of written and unwritten uh, things about what you can say and how you can say it. Uh, groups of friends do. Employers certainly do. Your boss is kind of, possibly uh, mandate some things that you have to say and prohibit some things uh, that you can't say when you're on the clock, when you're, when you're okay. at work, when you're, when you're doing uh, whatever it is uh, that, that you're supposed to be doing on the job, whatever your job is. Schools certainly uh, have regulations about the language of students as well as the language of teachers. And then, of course, there is the law, which is uh, uh, in the context of uh, the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Uh, In practice, that means Congress can make some laws abridging that freedom. So at the same time that we have free speech, Uh, It's illegal to threaten somebody. It's illegal to uh, use obscene language. It's illegal to defame somebody. It's illegal to lie under oath. Uh, There's all kinds of um, limits on speech uh, that that are considered perfectly legal in the context of Congress or government shall shall not censor your speech at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, it does... Censor some of what we
0: do, what we say. Your book really sort of breaks down so many different areas where speech has been uh, limited or or, um, debated of what you can and can't say. And I want to sort of talk about some of the really current issues that are going on, especially at the start of the book. You talk a lot about. The impact of the march in Charlottesville, uh, the march on Charlottesville, Virginia, the free speech rally that happened in 2017. Uh, can you remind us a little bit about what that was, what happened there? And also, why was that a turning point, how it differed from prior free speech um, marches because it had the presence of weapons? And you really focus on how guns made a difference in uh, the Free speech rally that it was more than just the first amendment
2: right right so so uh here's the deal with with the uh what happened in charlottesville the the rally of white supremacist neo nazi uh rally under the pretext of defending free speech of uh, circulated calls for for people to attend nationwide. They, they, they circulated calls on social media, inviting everybody uh, who agreed with them to come to Charlottesville, and because in 2017, the state of Virginia, where Charlottesville is, uh, permits the open carrying of weapons, uh, some of the so-called free speech marchers were armed. They brought. Guns. They brought other weapons to to the march, and that presents a kind of volatile potential for a volatile situation, where you have guns at a political protest, weapons at a political protest, which is going to be possibly tense to begin with. And um, you had, you know, a kind of perfect storm of. Of incidents the, the law enforcement did not intervene law enforcement did apparently not keep the two sides in the protest separate and uh, as a result there were a, a number of clashes uh, the, the demonstration turned violent uh, there was gunfire uh, it, one of the uh, counter protesters w- was killed uh, by uh, a protester driving his car and who hit her, uh, a couple of police who were observing from the helicopter uh, died when their, when their helicopter crashed. And so the whole thing was, you know handled fairly poorly. But the, th- the thing is it, because of the presence of weapons, that exacerbated uh, the kind of violence, the kind of potential, for um, human tragedy there that in card, compare this as i do in the book to the uh the neo-nazi march which in skokie illinois right
0: which that, was also built you know, that's sort of like the famous card. one right talk to us i mean i'm yeah. really intrigued by your theory which hasn't yet been sort of examined on in the legal system that this differed from Skokie and rose to a level of violence because there was the presence of, you know, the right to bring weapons and sort of the the danger and the conflict between the First Amendment and the Second Amendment where because people had weapons, you're articulating in the book how that created this, this sense of intimidation that created this sense of violence and gave... N- you know, sort of the silence to anyone else that had a uh, free speech right to counter protest.
2: Yeah, the, the you know the it, 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 it it's become a commonplace in in legal discussions that where where first and second amendment rights clash. Second amendment being the the right to to carry weapons uh, for technically the right is for lawful purposes. Uh, when First and Second Amendment uh, rights clash in something like a political demonstration, the tendency is that uh, the First Amendment, rights, First Amendment rights are trumped by the Second Amendment rights. You see a gun, you are going to be less likely to criticize the person carrying the gun.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk to us um there's a great section in the book that specifically talks about the role of threats and how remind us, you know, threats, as you said at the beginning, are always unprotected speech. But it's so hard to tell what a threat is and when a someone threatening someone when you want to say, oh, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I can't stand my my job, I can't stand the mayor, I can't stand the president. You say things like that out loud. You say things like that uh on social media when does it turn though into a threat and when is it just words that you're protected under the first amendment
2: okay so um the problem with threats is they are always outside and in terms of the law they're always outside the protection of the first amendment but defining what constitutes a threat
0: exactly is kind
2: of elusive so of course i've never established a a clear definition of a threat. So let me give you some examples of things that that did happen, and we can talk about you know some hypotheticals of things that might happen. In you know during World War One, uh, there was a lot of anti-war sentiment in the U.S. There there was a sense uh, among uh, a, a good slice of the population that this was Wall Street's war. Uh, rather than, uh, as the government framed it, uh, you know, a, a war to preserve uh, democracy. Uh, and some of, some of the people who opposed the war, for whatever reason, uh, said things about, criticized Woodrow Wilson, who was, who was the president. So uh, there, there was a guy in Montana who got drunk, uh, it was a little town in Montana and in the bar uh, where he was drinking heavily on a Saturday night or whatever. He he, he basically called Woodrow Wilson a bad name. Okay. He, been arrested, he was arrested for violating the Espionage Act of 1917, which basically said you cannot interfere with the war effort. Uh, uh, he... he his was an unusual case because the judge threw it out. He, the judge said, look, uh, th- th- this guy can't threaten anybody. He's drunk, incapacitated. You know, five or six people are listening to him. They know he's not going to carry out this threat. There's no, there's no likelihood. Uh, he can't, uh, he can't impact any military installation. The nearest military installation was uh, a couple hundred miles away. So uh, this is just a non-starter. And when the judge ruled that, he became so unpopular that uh, the legislature tried to impeach him. Hmm. Uh, so over 200 people were convicted, fined, and many of them imprisoned for saying nasty things about Woodrow Wilson or telling people that the draft was a bad thing Uh stuff that, that today we would sort of take in
0: stride.
2: Uh, calling the president a dirty name is like a national pastime now. <laughs> and So but the, but those were considered threats against the president. Uh, in, in 1969, in one of the Vietnam protests, uh, there was a, a teach-in on the mall in Washington, D.C., and an 18-year-old high school student named Robert Watts uh, uh, told a group who's listening to him of about you know maybe 15 people uh, that he was going to resist the draft that he he was called for his physical and he was going to refuse to go and he said something like if if I am ever made to go and carry a rifle I'm not going to shoot any of my black brothers the first person I want to get in. The- my sights is LBJ, referring to Lyndon Johnson, who was the president, and he then, you know, mimicked holding up a gun and firing it, and everybody laughed. You know, you know, this was this was uh, a non-serious threat, but there were law enforcement observing the teachers. And the next day, Robert Wuss was arrested, and he was convicted for threatening the life of Lyndon Johnson with uh, a make-believe gun. And uh, despite the fact that everybody in the crowd listening to it interpreted it as a joke, and it and was uh, an anti-Vietnam,
0: and it was an anti-Vietnam rally where people were saying we're not going there. And I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, I, fa- cool. I found this case the most interesting case of all the ones you talked about in the books of what happens to us. Keep telling us what happened. So what ha- so he gets arrested.
2: He gets arrested. He's convicted. He appeals. Uh, the appeal is his conviction is confirmed in the state courts, and the federal courts. It goes up to the Supreme Court. And in, in 1969, the Supreme Court rules. Hang on a minute. This is not a real threat. There was no way that uh, anybody could possibly take this seriously. The president was not endangered in any way. Uh, The fact that it took them a day to get around to arresting Watts showed that there was no immediate danger whatsoever. And what the court said basically was on, you know, he, he might have chosen his words better. Right. It's not a nice thing to say, for sure, but the court said, look, in, in highly fraught political situations, uh, any kind of discussion where, where things are very tense, you get involved in political speech and it can get pretty raw. it can get pretty rough and tumble. so and as long as as long as the words are not accompanied by immediate lawless action, they're protected political speech.
0: So Dennis, then bring that. I- I mean, I love that story uh, and the case of what happened with Watts. I find so many things interesting about it. One that he was African-American, one that he wound up spending time and got, you know, wound up being in jail. And it wasn't until it went all the way to the top that he, you know, got released. And um, I want to parallel that then now to present day. So that's the Vietnam era. Where does this right. fall now? When we had President Donald Trump, particularly your, the book talks about something that was um, when it was candidate Donald Trump when he was attacking Hillary when he was saying things like shoot her up and you know when he had lock put her. on right lock her up and but he said the thing lock on um, social media about Second Amendment people might come and right. get her and. How was that not a threat? How do we take what happened with Watts, where they decided in Watts that, that that was protected speech based on the audience and the people he were talking to, and then how do you take Donald Trump's statement when he's talking to people that are being more agitated, more lock her up, more she's a criminal, all of this, and then are his words... Threats that are protected under the Constitution, or actually, are in violation of the First Amendment.
2: Okay, so so look look at the the tweet of uh, the that you're talking about the you know if, if, if uh, something like if if Hillary Clinton gets elected and gets to appoint her judges, uh, the implication was that they were, the judges that you appointed were going to take your guns away then maybe the Second Amendment people will have something to say about that. It, it, it sounds like a veiled threat. Yes. Is it is it protected speech? Well, uh, in retrospect, you can look at it and say, well, nothing happened, right? You didn't have uh, people reading that tweet and immediately running out and grabbing their gun uh, as they go out the door and heading toward uh, Shay Hillary, uh, so, so, you know, it was just words. As long as it's just words, so it's probably protected. But compare I'm... that to January 6th, which is where you're heading.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because what happens on January 6th is that Trump addresses a riled-up crowd uh, which, uh, whose, uh, whose energies have been stoked uh, with the stop-the-steal rhetoric uh, for weeks, uh, and he promised that it would be wild. He tells them in the speech on January 6th some 20 times that they have to go and fight to keep their country, fight to save their country. And what do they do? They go and fight mm-hmm. right away. They march on the Capitol. They break into the Capitol. They attack the police. They, they try to attack the legislators.
0: People die. Uh,
2: they, people die. You, they break into the building, they rampage through the building, they destroy property, uh, people die on the scene afterwards from the results, they beat up police. Uh,
0: so is that gonna, protected speech?
2: It, it, it certainly doesn't seem like it. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I, I'm just a country English teacher, to paraphrase Sam Irvin, if anybody in the audience remembers who he was, uh, with the the Nixon Nixon impeachment, but uh, it certainly looks like are words followed immediately yeah. by lawless action that that seems to fit the textbook definition of incitement to riot, which is not protected speech.
0: So then I have an. Ali, we're going to get to you in one second, but I have one follow-up question then with all of this, because you said the magic word um, that I have here in my notes, where you talked <laughs> about in retrospect, right? Yeah. One led to violence and one didn't. But how do you know? So when you say something, how do you know, Right? how do you know if you your know? words are protected until afterwards? So if his speech... Um, if his st- if his tweet about Hillary led to someone shooting Hillary, would that change whether it was protected or not? And if his speech on it's- September sixth didn't lead to anyone doing anything uh, at the Capitol building, would that change? And th- how do you know then when you're saying it?
2: Uh, well, you don't, and mm-hmm. so uh, sometimes you you can't predict the consequences of. Your words, but if you are uh, riling a crowd up to action, if you are implicitly calling for action or explicitly calling for action, and action happens, then certainly uh, you could possibly be blamed for that action, for for causing it. If the action is illegal, I mean, if the action is not illegal, not a problem. Uh, I mean, the classic example is is, is uh, falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater and causing a, a panic. Uh, if there is a real fire, yeah, you've got to alert people, and hopefully they won't panic on their way out. Sometimes they will. Uh you know, it's your job, your duty to alert them to to cry fire. But if there is no fire... And that's a clear example of unprotected speech that was articulated as uh, in 1919 in the in the Supreme Court's first uh, interpretation of what the of what the First Amendment means. And incidentally, in that interpretation, the court held that speech that is protected in peacetime can be illegal, can be banned in times of war, because it, it was it was a case about an anti-war protest.
0: And it has to do. I mean, that's what's so interesting about this whole conversation is the circumstances matter. The the reasons matter. The audience matters. The response matters. It's it's I appreciate how complicated this conversation about the First Amendment is and how you really outline that in the book. Again, we are talking right now with Dennis Barron. He is the author of the new book. You can't always say what you want. Ali. Thank you so much for listening. You and I can now say, we can say whatever we want. We'll get to what we can't say on the radio any minute now. But is there something you would like to say to us?
1: Well, I mean, I want to say that I think conversations about what you are allowed to say, when you're allowed to say it, who gets to say what, how you get to say it, um, are really important conversations. And I think part of what we're, we're able to celebrate here at Wart is diverse voices and bringing all kinds of perspectives to the table and and handing the mic to to younger folks and to folks who maybe yeah. are not as, you know, as not as not as likely to be heard from, and I think you know. It's interesting, as I think about this conversation, to think about kind of the, the double standards we have around free speech. There was a, a student that comes to mind who was expelled in Madison about a decade ago um, for for saying, you know, F the president um, at that time, you know, it was a few presidents ago. Um, and uh, and. That, that student was expelled and sued the district and won on mm-hmm. on the basis of free speech. That that student had the right to announce to the whole school, th- you know, that he um, was explicitly not a fan of of the of the president. So. I, I think this is a necessary conversation and a complicated conversation. And I think you should support necessary complicated conversations. And you can do that by calling 608 256 2001. And then hit one, we'll patch you through and you can give. Um, you can also support by, you know, giving online and every single penny counts of so small donations, big donations, whatever you can give. I after listening to this conversation I want to give a little bit more I all gave right. I gave yesterday and now I will match the next donation that comes in up to $50 so if you give $25 I'll give $25 if you give $35 I'll give $35 all the way up all to right. 50 bucks. we have a
0: challenge right now we are looking for 6 donors for this hour we already have 2 and Ali is going to be donor number 4 we just need number 3
1: yeah. That's sort of how it works. We, we need number three, and you'll get us halfway there, and then you'll get us to number four, and you'll double your donation.
0: Right, right. So give us a call right now at area code 608-256-2001, extension, nine, uh, extension one. You can also pledge online, wortfm.org. I'm looking at the online donations. We're ready to um, have you support us and It's just, it's so great to have you here, Ali, and I I really want to hear and have a conversation with you and with Dennis about what you can and can't say at schools. So Dennis, Ali is uh, the president of the school board for the city of Madison. Uh, That's true. That is true. And so, and I have, uh, we both have uh, lovely children in our public schools. And so I have a question for you, Dennis, about... Tell, talk to us about things that you can and can't say in school. And you know what? I'm going to tell the story of what happened to me when I was in eighth grade. I got mad at my teacher and I <laughs> said, why are you being such a B word? And I got suspended. I was suspended from school. Me, like, the total rule follower. I'm, like, such a goody-goody. But I said that, and I got suspended from school for saying that one sentence to a teacher.
1: I like this adolescent little <laughs> feisty carousel. I'm so <laughs>
0: easygoing now. Um, mm, we we'll <laughs> that. But, Dennis, what are your sort of your thoughts on what's happening in schools? And it's so complicated because there's a limit on what people can and can't say. But also, right now, as we're talking... There's legislatures across the country that are trying to limit, you know, whether you can have a gay pride flag in your classroom, whether or you can wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, right, or or call someone by uh, the they them their pronoun. What is going on in our schools right now, Dennis?
2: Oh uh, well, it is complicated. I I do do agree with that. Uh, just this morning, I came across a new bill that has been introduced into the Florida legislature, Florida House Bill 1223, which essentially outlaws a, or seeks to define a part of speech. Now, how is that for fine-tuning uh, language through legislation? Let me quote you from,
0: yes. from
2: that law. And this is just proposed. They haven't voted on it, but, you know, given what's been going on in Florida, it looks like uh, <laughs> it's something that's likely to pass. It shall be the policy of every public K-12 through educational institution that is provided or authorized by the Constitution and laws of Florida that a person's sex is immutable biolog- is an immutable biological trait and that it is false, to ascribe to a person a pronoun that does not correspond to such person's sex. Now, this is one of the few examples I've I've come across of a law trying to tell you what a pronoun means. Uh, And uh, and
0: not only what a pronoun means, but assigning you a pronoun. You can't change your mind. You can't choose what pronoun belongs to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean... This is, I mean, it, it, it has become, pronouns have become a kind of flashpoint in, in the culture wars, uh, uh, as, as to use, a, I suppose, a neutral term, uh, so that uh, all you have to say is pronoun, and people will e- either classify you as a progressive or a, uh, a hard right conservative, depending on what you mean by pronoun. I mean, there, there's there's a a a, a, a well known uh, tweeter in Florida who tweets things like, "There are no pronouns in the Bible. There are no pronouns in the Constitution. Where well, pronoun is a stand-in for you know progressive language." But of course. The Constitution begins with a pronoun.
0: Pronoun is. The first we word the people, the right. We the people,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, so what do you mean when you say pronoun? You don't, you're not talking about a simple part of speech. You're talking about a whole political position. The Supreme Court, in um, a, a, a couple of years ago, in, in a case called Bostock versus uh, Clayton County, Georgia, affirmed that uh, firing an employee for transitioning from uh, a a trans employee uh, on the basis of of their gender transition is a violation of Mm anti-discrimination law. And in a minority dissent, Justice Alito wrote a 70-page section of his dissent attacking the use of pronouns to, to indicate inclusive gender roles. Uh, he said, this is a violation of the First Amendment. You cannot be compelled to, to use somebody's pronoun, and uh, he, he gave this elaborate justification. And, and to me, that, that's a kind of scary warning signal that conservatives are uh, basically attacking using using this, this kind of uh first amendment defense against compelled speech the first amendment not only protects you from being censored it protects you from being compelled to say something that you do not believe in so you can't be forced to pray in public school that's one of the classic examples you can't be forced to salute the flag uh if if, if you believe that's that violates your belief. So Alito is saying here, you can't make me say your pronouns. And that has potential implications if you expand that to say uh, you can't can't require your employees to only speak English. Well, he said, well, that would be violating the First Amendment. You can't uh, discriminate against somebody because of their accent. That would be uh, he would throw that law out because uh, you're allowed under the First Amendment to discriminate uh, on the basis of accent. So, so it's so fascinating to see.
0: I mean, you could logically or illogically on some level, but logically string this out beyond 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 that any words and language yep. are protected it could even get to words that you find offensive and words that you find threatening if, if they're not officially threatening under the constitution you can't force words nor can you deny words it, it it's sort of i mean thank goodness alito's dissent was a dissent but the fact that right he spent so much time and energy Making this fight for the First Amendment makes you think, I mean, people have read this and, and seen this, makes you think who's going to bring a new case to fight this. Ali, you wanted to say something. Well, I was I was okay. going to say
1: us being on the radio and having this conversation is so interesting, given what is considered appropriate on the radio to say and what is not. And so. Right you know and I, how those words have changed you and i have both said f-word and b-word instead of the actual word because we're not allowed to right. say those words on the radio we are allowed to say the n-word on the radio we could all engage in you know using certain well, derogatory slurs being protected? for you know so i'm like it, it, it is it's interesting to think about what makes a word so offensive or dangerous, you are not allowed to say it on the air.
0: Well, so, Dennis, is that where this is really coming from? Is this his Alito's um, um, descent? Was Is that he's sort of tying it into what words are offensive? You can't make me say your pronouns just like you can't make me say... The F word like is is that sort of the same line of argument or are those nowhere near each other?
2: Well, I mean, you, you could read it that way. But but to me, it, it, it's more like he's he's saying that um, gender discrimination should be allowed.
0: Right. I mean, that,
2: that that's right. the direction he's he he seemed to be heading in. Discrimination against um, non-binary, uh, gay, lesbian, trans individuals, which uh, is illegal, uh, he, he, he's opening the door to, to revisiting that that kind of thing. I mean, what, this, what the conservatives on the court are doing clearly is revisiting some of the decisions that they feel felt are, are, are too liberal. I mean, look at the, the abortion uh, ruling. Uh, you know, same-sex marriage will be one of the next things on their right. agenda. It, right. it, 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 it's, I mean, what fascinates me is, is the language aspect of it, because that's something I've done some, some work on. So uh, I mean, I can give you an example of the, that happened to me about what you can and can't say on the air. a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, there was a song that won the best uh, song for, uh, the Oscar for Best Song, And um, it had some words in the song that you couldn't say on the air. And so I got a call from CNN because they were doing a story on it. And they wanted to know, you know, what my, my take was about that particular song. But the caveat was that I was not allowed to say the band word, <laughs> which was in the song. And so I spent my, you know, my five minutes on CNN, or or, or maybe it was thirty seconds. I never watched the final clip. Uh, basically, talking about how. Uh, Here's a song that won, and it's got a a word in it that you can't say on the air. And how bizarre is that?
0: Right. I think that that ties in perfectly. Um, We're gonna cue up uh, an audio in in a few seconds of of uh, the words that we can't play on the radio. Um, Ashley, is that something you have ready? Okay, Ashley, go ahead. Cue us up. Uh huh. That was was me saying all the words we can't say. There I was, saying it on the radio. That
2: sounds like George Carlin to me.
0: Uh Uh-huh, right. Yeah, me and George Carlin, our voices are so similar. When you beep it, we all sound the same. Um, All right, we're going to take a quick break. Ali, how are we doing here? We haven't gotten a third Another pledge yet? Is this, is this We have possible? not gotten
1: our next pledge, but we really, really want you to give us a call at 608-256-2001 Hit one, we'll patch you through and you can give and you can help us keep the lights on here at WORT 89.9 FM Madison uh, I, I love Carousel's show, and I want us to support it as much as possible. Um, and so I will match your donation up to $50. Please
0: do not leave that $50 on the
1: table. I yes. want Ollie's money. I want yes. it. I want it. And, you know, Carousel donated to my show yesterday, and we got a really very, very generous match donation. Um, and so... I I really want to encourage people to give and somebody gave. Yes, someone did. Hello. And I'm matching Woo. you.
0: All right, we have a new donor, Ashley from Madison. Um and I can see here if I'm allowed to say it, Ashley's pronoun is she. Since we're talking about pronouns, a pronoun is listed here. The appropriate pronoun is she. Um so we have a we have a donation. Um, please, please join us. That's four. We have four pledges. Two more, two more um, at wrtfm.org. You can pledge online.
1: I do. I want to ask a little bit about like, when freedom of speech is about the inconvenience of difference, right? And I, I think this is something I was aware of when I was a kid at school. Like every once in a while, somebody would have a name that was hard to say. And teachers might say like, actually, is it okay if we call you John instead of Pankeo?" Right? right? Or, you know, I was I was called Allie often. Um, when When is it like, when are we talking about people saying, I don't, I don't want to have to learn about somebody who is different than me or, you know, use a pronoun that is difficult for me to adapt to. When is that the the actual conversation we're having and how does that play into free speech? Do Do we have the right to say, like, I don't want to learn your name and I'll be calling you something else? Well, Dennis, I think that ties so perfectly into the
0: section in the book where you talked about, you know, mandating English and and language rules. What are your thoughts on what Ali was just saying?
2: Well, uh, I mean, there's the law and then there is, you know, human interaction. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, the law probably protects you from uh, having to say a student's name that you don't like, or you have trouble pronouncing, or for whatever reason, I mean, this, this is a, a commonplace, I've, I've seen and heard so many stories where, where somebody says, well, I, you know, your, your name's too difficult, you know, well, like, what kind of name is that anyway, and they uh, assign you something, some people who have uh, names that they think may be difficult for some speakers. sort of preempt that situation by saying, well, you can call me, you know, something, something, some nickname that that's short and more Anglo sounding. And, and, you know, they, they feel that they have to do that to, to smooth interaction, but mm-hmm. you know you're, you're, you're legally protected. I would think from, uh, when you say, well, I'm not going to call you, uh, Whatever your name is, uh, I'm I'm going to call you this simple thing like like John or Mary, uh, but the social consequences of that are are something you also have to consider because you know all the other students in the class plus the student who you are misnaming right might not might not like that. Well, that's I think oh, oh what a b-word that teacher is.
0: Well, hey, hey, hey no getting suspended. To quote to quote Carousel in 8th grade. Yes, let's not get suspended. But I mean, but I think that ties back to the conversation of the response maybe isn't a first amendment right, but the response is then you may be getting a discrimination claim. There may be this person is being addressed because of their because of who knows what because of the complicated their national origin or whatever that go ahead. Yeah, Ollie. Yeah,
1: but doesn't I mean, freedom of speech that's... protect my right to discriminate? Well, that's the whole point. Justice Alito was trying to say, <laughs> that's, right.
2: That's, that's what, that's what's scary about Alito's uh, dissent
1: mm-hmm. in
2: that case. Um, you are not allowed to discriminate on the basis of, you know, the whole list of protected categories uh race gender religion ethnic origin ability disability status uh, and in in some cases gender gender orientation uh and, and and things like that but but certainly the national national being discriminated against uh, according to uh, you know what country you come from uh, that, that that's been pretty well uh shown to be uh, you know you, you just can't do that it, it, It's just illegal almost uh, almost everywhere and and yet you can get around that in certain ways. you know the the idea is that if somebody wants to discriminate against you and one avenue won't work, they uh, let's say they the uh, students are told that unless you speak, and like in right. accepted standard English, you'll never get a good job. But all all those people who have uh, worked very hard to adopt a a kind of their idea of what is accepted standard English, will will tell you that uh, they get discriminated against on the basis of other factors instead. So. Uh, it, it, right, it becomes very complex. It, 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 it's kind of, oh, uh, you're safe in one one category. You 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 know, tick that box, uh, but all of a sudden another box opens up that it turns out you have not ticked, and and then you get turned down for the job or the promotion, or you don't get right. the raise, or you don't right. get high, you know you know
0: you can they'll get at it another way if they want to, and that that makes yeah. me think about all the conversations that are happening. Uh, that have that have happened from the history to the present of we speak English in America America's you know English is the language of America English you know different states trying to pass legislation that say we have an official language here the official language of our state is this how that in general hasn't been successful. It certainly hasn't been successful on the national level, but are there states where it is successful, where they are saying English is the official language? You talk about Iowa in the book a little bit.
2: Well, yeah, Iowa I was a kind of interesting example because back in 1918, again, during World War One. um, uh, the, the main enemy uh, that the U.S. was fighting was Germany, and so speakers of German in the U.S. and there were quite a few of them. And German, at, German people of German ancestry were, uh, I think, the largest minority group at the time, and German was the most commonly spoken language after English in in the U.S. And the governor of Iowa in 1918 basically uh, banned the use of any language other than English, any foreign language, as he termed it, in public, in the state of Iowa. And by in public, he meant uh, on the street, uh, on the trains, on the telephone, in school, at public meetings. And he went so far as to say... If if you cannot worship in English, then you better keep your religious practice at home.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: So so this was you know particularly bizarre because um at the time in nineteen eighteen the, the Catholic Mass was in Latin. <laughs> uh, it, uh, that doesn't it, even write, no
0: that doesn't work. No and
2: you know, when when some reporters questioned him about about the prayer issue, uh, he said doesn't matter because um, God is only listening to prayers in English, so... Holy uh, moly. You know, and, and they asked him, you know, well, what about the First Amendment? You know, is this a violation of the First Amendment? And he said, no, the First Amendment only protects speech in English.
0: Okay, well, I mean... And Dennis, <laughs> we only have a few more minutes. Can you... So I like that history story of sort of what happened in Iowa. And then... You talk in the book about the 2000 census that the Spanish-speaking population of Iowa went from 1.5 percent to 2.9 percent, so it almost doubled. Right, right. The, but we're still talking about 2.9 percent. Right, right, small and number. that the reaction was, "We need to make English our official language."
2: Absolutely, like mm. that, that doesn't make any difference at all when you police language like that. It, it, it doesn't make people any more likely to learn English if they no. don't use English. Uh, immigrants to the U.S. have have historically uh, demonstrated uh, an intense desire to switch to English. Uh, it, it, it's not Precious always easy thing
0: to do. It takes no.
2: years. Sometimes it takes generations. Uh, but Immigrants uh, at the present time seem to be, from what we can tell from statistics, seem to be switching to English faster than the immigrants in the 1890s and early 20th century did. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Ah. So it took three generations now. It seems to be happening in the second generation uh, where you get uh, monolingual English speakers. who are the children of immigrants.
1: Ah,
0: that's really oh, interesting. Um, I, I think that's... Dennis, we are out of time for this hour, but it's been so great talking with you again about your new book, You Can't Always Say What You Want. Um, there's so much more to talk about. We didn't even talk about the current U.S. Supreme Court cases. We'll have to cover that on a future show. But it's been really wonderful talking with you today about the First Amendment, what it protects and what it doesn't. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: And in our final
1: minutes here, Ali. I just want to encourage people to keep giving. giving. Say it again. I just want to encourage people to keep giving. You can call and give by dialing 608-256-2001. Huge shout out to Carousel. This is a great show, folks. Make sure we stick around and, you know, give give what you can.
0: And. We have another donor. Thank you, Rebecca, for pledging on the web. It's so great. We really appreciate your support. That I think that gets us to 5, so it's not too late to call 608-256-2001, extension 1. Or W-O-R-T-F-M And a huge thank you to Ashley and Jade and Shelly and Mary Jo and Eric and, and Ali for being in here with me. And Anytime. Th- thank you everyone for listening. You are listening to W-O-R-T 89.9 FM Madison. We'll see you again next week. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream media distorted.